Welcome, everyone, to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode number 26. We're going to be joining you every week to talk IT career, news, and opinions based on our points of view. I'm your host, John White, at BJourneyman on Twitter, joined, as always, by my co-host, Nick Cordy, at NetworkNerd underscore. Hey, Nick, how's it going? Hey, John, I'm doing all right. I want to make sure our listeners know we are a couple of VMware solution engineers looking to bring them the career advice we wish we'd been given earlier in our careers. We hope our career discussions will be relevant across disciplines and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey. A journey to virtual enlightenment. So let's take a trip. Great, Nick. Uh, this is our In Sickness and In Health episode. Uh, a little bit more like In Sickness, right? I mean, we're both a little bit under the weather. Yes, indeed. Uh, this is the podcast that will be a test of wills more than... Uh, <laughs> we'll see if our brains still work while we're a little under the weather. You, you feel like you could still think clearly and, and answer clearly and maybe not cough into the mic? I'm sorry, what was the question? <laughs> If you <laughs> wasn't paying attention, sorry, my yeah. mind wandered. I was thinking yeah. about uh, decongestants and cough suppressants. Yeah, if your M's start turning into B's, then we'll know, or D's. We'll, yeah. We'll get so th- this this episode is brought to you by the letters D M and P E. <laughs> cough suppressant and decongestant that I'm on right now. Were those patented by Robitussin or some other cough syrup maker? Oh, I buy the generic, sir. Generic. Good for you. Good for you. So totally off topic, John. I know it's been a while since you bought the Nook. I wanted to. I wanted our listeners to to know how you're using it and how that's going for you. Oh, the Barnes and Noble Nook. I really don't use it that often. Like the, I actually, you know, it was. I don't. I think they stopped updating the version of Android. Um, and like the eBooks, like uh. Mostly I'm listening to audiobooks these days. Ah, I, I meant the breakfast nook where you're using your Intel nook. How's oh, going? got it. Same jokes, guys. Same jokes. Yeah, so Intel nook, I think, overall has been a win. That's a NUC, new unit of computing, I think is what they originally called it, or why they called it the nook. Um yeah, it, it's been really amazing. I had a, um, a former and current coworker, uh, on Twitter, um, shout out his, uh, new, uh, white box build that he did, you know, from the ground up. And I was like, Oh, I just was lazy and I bought a nook, <laughs> um, included motherboard and I just plugged in a CPU and memory. Like that, that's the level of effort that I can put into a PC build these days. That's as DIY as I can get, but it's been terrific. Um, it's, uh, maybe the only type of desktop that I'll ever, ever buy again. <laughs> nice time to buy a, a whole fleet now for the home lab, right? Ooh, yeah. I'm looking for that raise. <laughs> then I'm going to do the home lab. That'd be a sick raise. Speaking of sick, I mean, if this is going to be the sickness episode, we need to have a sick topic. So have you ever heard IT pros go at it about whether I should stay generalist or go specialist, John? Yes. Yes, I have heard of that. I have indeed. Yeah, this week we're going to address it. The, the, The divide between staying a generalist or becoming a specialist. Now, I don't. We don't want to start a religious war out there in the community. We're trying to give you some helpful advice, as always. So here's the general structure I was thinking we might go with here. We'll talk about what a generalist is, what a specialist is, and our opinions, of course. And we'll give you some questions to ponder about those different uh, aspects. And then we're going to do some myth-busting. And then maybe we'll get into some career tips for each, each type. Does that sound good to you? Sounds good to me. All right. So the goal here, as always, stump John White. Throw him something he's not expecting. Here we go. So, John, if I asked you point blank, what would you say a generalist is in the IT spectrum? 
Yeah, I, I'm I'm a smart aleck, right? A natural smart aleck, so I would say it's the opposite of a specialist. Nice. Well, at least you didn't use the word in its own definition. I mean, that's kind of what I was afraid you might do because of that smart aleck. <laughs> but if I had to define it, I would say it's going to be somebody with an exposure to working with a number of different technologies, maybe software, hardware, things with IP addresses, kind of that Jack or Jill of all trades, as you've heard them called. And it is most likely that they're not going to be super deep in one specific area, like 400, 500 level, maybe, but probably not because they touch a lot of different things. And if we're looking at examples of people who might fit this mold or the, the role type, think of the help desk technician. You know, they're supporting end users who could have a problem with anything as small as a phone or other mobile device all the way down to their emails broken. And so are 20 other people's. Maybe we have a larger problem. Or maybe we're talking about that systems administrator who is administering different operating systems, uh, patching them, updating them, updating the applications that run on them, talking about and covering the backup process, databases, a little bit of everything there, right? Yeah, definitely. And I would maybe even go a little bit further. You know, those two things, job examples that you gave, are examples of jobs that require someone to have an exposure at, in multiple different areas, right? It's not just that you you have some exposure in multiple areas, but it's more like I have to, um, you know, go across, you know, five or six or seven, eight, nine, ten different areas of the technology stack that we use in the organization or that the, the customers I support use. And as a result, I actually don't have the time to get better than the one or 200 level in any of them. Ooh, I like that. And even if you don't have experience in all those areas, enough problems come in, you will get it. <laughs> I would say that, you know, if you were jumping into one of these roles and didn't have a lot of experience in all these areas, you would get it very fast because the problems are going to cover the spectrum. Absolutely. So especially at the entry level, there's a lot of, you know, kind of scripted interaction, right? Like, um, decision trees. What about this? What about this? Have you tried this? And that's the w kind of way that three, 400 level people, um, instruct one and 200 level people to approach, um, you know, discussions about their specialized technology. Gotcha. So maybe it's the difference between I've done this a little bit. Yeah, only so much of my attention can be spent doing this because I'm required to do so many other different things. Absolutely. So maybe if you had a problem that was deep enough and specific enough in one discipline, you could do a little bit as the generalist, but you may need an escalation point for that problem, like a specialist, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. But um, it naturally leads to the question, what is a specialist? Well, if you don't know, I'm not going to tell you. Oh, yeah. Like the opposite of a generalist, right? Uh, exactly. I mean, you, sh you had to know that was coming. That's right. I, I would go with someone with a very deep knowledge of a specific area under the technology umbrella. I would think 400, 500 level if we're rating this on you know the scale of knowledge depth according to college courses. Right, right. We maybe we should, you know, explain that. Like generally in this is maybe a trope more than it actually happens, but you know, you take an introductory class and it's like 101 and then, you know, your sophomore level class is like the the 201, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, 3 years in, 4 years in. So the level of expertise that you're expected to be at 100, 200, 400, 500, et cetera. Right. So maybe more the graduate level as opposed to the bachelor level. Right. And, and if I'm a specialist, this specific area of focus is going to be my primary responsibility. It's an area where I live day to day. I have the most experience with this technology, technology type, or area of the umbrella. Some examples that came to mind for me was were network engineer. I am in charge of everything network-related, switching, routing, IP addresses, etc. 
Now, that in and of itself may be kind of broad, but still, it's a specialized area. Then also, database administrator. My job is to make sure that the databases run as cleanly and as quickly as possible, whether it be indexing, optimization of queries. That still requires a lot of skills, but again, the focus is narrowed. Or maybe something like a .NET developer. I'm not just a developer who writes code. I specifically write code in .NET. That's my language of choice. That's what we use here at company XYZ. And I'm in charge of building things and making things better in the code base, CICD pipeline, that kind of thing. Those examples jive with what you think? Yeah, definitely. That that definitely is, um, you know, along what I was thinking, although it does beg the question, you know, um, you even mentioned it, right? Like a uh, network engineer. Well, that, that might be a bunch of different things, mm-hmm. right? So maybe, maybe we'll just tease that and, and answer the question, you know, or the implications later on. Sure. And I'm going to give the listeners another teaser point here. Think about this, ladies and gentlemen, as you listen, before we tell you what we think, I want you to think about, would you say that working for a vendor makes someone a specialist as opposed to still being a generalist. We're not going to answer it yet, but we will get there. Nice. So let's go down to some questions and let's go back to the generalist for a second. We talked about generalist specialist. It seems like we have that teased apart pretty well, but let's, (laughs) let's find the Venn diagram that represents the generalist specialist relationship If we think about it, John, can a generalist actually be a specialist at the same time? Mm, mm, Intriguing. Intriguing. Would you say yes or no, just off the cuff? I would say that there's definitely an overlap, right? Um, Like you said, that there's like a Venn diagram of overlapping responsibilities or instead of like a a binary, like yes, no, um, you know, generalist, hard generalist, or hard specialist, it's a little bit more like a shades of gray, right? Where, you know, at the very beginning, you're required to know a bunch of things about a bunch of things. And then, you know, over time, you start to concentrate and, you know, continue to concentrate. And then all of a sudden, you're more specialist than you are generalist. Mm, Sounds like a balance between the light side of the dark side of the force. Interesting. Mm, Very, very possible. I would say that if you're a generalist, you could be a specialist. I'll agree with you. But the specialty is probably not going to be your area of focus 100% of the time, like it would if you were a, we'll just say, pure specialist. Sure. And I think that this plays back into our area of destiny episode where the things you really like may end up determining where you go with it and what your, quote, specialties within that general area become. And it's most likely, as I said, that your knowledge isn't going to be as deep as those who work in that area all the time, but it's probably going to be deeper than your average generalist. So maybe you're a 300 level or a 350 a databases, for example, and your generalist peers are more like a 100, 200, but your specialist peer would be a 400, 500. So you're floating somewhere in the middle. It's still a specialty of yours, but maybe you're not quite there to full-blown specialists. Yeah, right. And I can see that. For example, the help desk technician might be a little bit more adept at, at closing those database tickets um, because of the special interest or, you know, additional study that they've done on their own. And so they get a little bit more adept, a little bit more uh, interested, and maybe they become the lead at their like 100 or 200 level of, um, you know, level one or level two help desk. And um, before it gets escalated to a specialist, you know, maybe they run it, you know, in front of uh, this person who has a special interest. So maybe at like an intermediate escalation point. Yeah, that's good. And that's, you know, that's a career path. You know, maybe that's a new role that you grow into at your current employer. That role doesn't exist, but they need somebody who can spend a little more time on it, but they don't want to pay them as much as they would a full-blown specialist. Right, right. So, you know, the example I was thinking of was like maybe somebody who you talked about the the network um 
you know, someone who concentrates on networking, well, maybe, you know, this person has seen enough uh, DNS problems that they've done like a, like an in-depth analysis of, you know, the types of problems, you know, and tickets that have been closed in the past and, um, you know, has seen the patterns and, and maybe written a frequently asked questions or, you know, frequently solved problems document. And, and now, um, you know, they're the person that, you know, the team goes to if there, you know, isn't even a hint of a, of a DNS problem before they actually escalate it to the network engineering team. Sure. I, it made me think of the systems administrator who had done something very similar. They know the ERP system better than, anyone else they've worked with application owners and know the workflows and how the application is supposed to work even more so than the troubleshooting and break fix things because they've helped create those processes uh, you know tom delicati comes to mind the guy was a wizard when it came to our erp system I and mean, he ended up specializing in that but being able to learn from him took my knowledge up a notch from that 100 200 level resource to more like a 350 and so i could coach other members of the team who weren't quite there yet and be that escalation point that you just said so it it was a nice you know i wasn't the specialist but if if tom wasn't around then maybe i could help somebody in his absence yeah, I think that that makes absolute sense. I I also think that something that you said, which is this can be a career path for somebody, is actually very very true, and and people people should pay you know special attention to that. Um, for example, if you are raising tickets with somebody, you know, an outside team, um, it always helps to have that little extra bit of knowledge and troubleshooting, so that when you raise the ticket, you can say here's the problem. Here's what I think it is. I don't have necessarily have the skills to diagnose it or, or solve it past this point, but here's what I've done. I've checked this, I've checked this, I've checked this other thing and I've checked this fourth or fifth thing as well. And here's all the results and, and here's all the information, you know, in my thinking on this. So when that specialist escalation team takes a look at it, they go, Oh, all the like simple stuff, that we would have spent, you know, the first, uh, 30 minutes on is now gone. So now our, our use of, you know, the use of our time is super efficient because, um, you know, all those things are, have been handled. So, you know, that means that you're going to get some recognition, hopefully, because, you know, you consistently handle all the easy points. Yeah, that's perfect. And working with that specialist resource, whether they're in tech support or another natural member of your team, is just going to make you deeper and give you some additional troubleshooting to do next time by riding along and interacting with that person. Your knowledge level is just going to go up from there. That's a very good point. I yeah. remember so many times opening a ticket with support for product XYZ and maybe I opened it for one thing, but I was able to pick their brain and learn five different things after that interaction that helped me gain more knowledge. So yeah, they, they're kind of helping me pull over toward the specialist end of the spectrum. You know, one other thing about the generalist that could be considered a specialty, it may not be a product area or software area. It might actually be the industry in which you work. Maybe you know so much about the security implications in the financial industry because you've done it at multiple places. Ah, yeah, I really like that. Um, the idea that you could you could bring your industry context to the job, even as a generalist, means that you're a certain kind of specialist, right? And I've I've definitely seen that, like where. I'll have somebody who works at a financial services customer of mine and then they're gone, but then they join a different financial services customer of mine. And, um, it's their industry knowledge that, you know, makes them especially relevant. Right. So, um, I, you know, even myself, like I think probably if I'd wanted to stay in it operations, I probably could have moved to another wholesale slash retail, um, company, that, you know, that used, you know, ERP solutions and I could have brought my experience, you know, as a, as an analyst and an IT ops and IT management 
in that in that role and in that industry. It would have been a much easier uh, move than me moving to again financial financial services, right? Because I had no um, experience in that. Absolutely, and even if the technologies were completely different at that second place you went, you would still have some idea of how the organization and its internal components probably needed to work to meet the technology requirements that would be needed in that space. Yeah, it just occurred to me one of the things that you understand is the business goals of that industry, right? So if you know those things and you can orient what it is that you're doing towards those goals, um, like that, that never, (laughs) that's always attractive, right? People always want that. Yeah, yeah, I understand, you know, you know, wholesale, like we're, we're trying to receive product and, you know, organize in the warehouse and then ship it off to our customers, you know, and then get paid. You know, those are all important processes that we need to support from the IT perspective, you know, something along those lines. Or, um, if I was working in financial services and I knew anything about it, I would say the same series of things, you know, about financial services, except that I don't actually work in that field. So I don't know. Right. Absolutely. Hey, John, just real quick. Have you ever been on a podcast and tried to say something, but the guy you were podcasting with said it better? I feel like that just happened. Uh, um, yes, actually, that happens to me all the time. <laughs> <laughs> happens to me a lot, too. But yeah, great point. And I think you said it better than I could have. So I guess we're saying that a generalist can be a specialist. It, of sorts, it just, yeah. It just wouldn't be right to if we didn't turn the question around and said, can a specialist be a generalist? Oh man, the lines are just so blurry here, but let's try and paint the picture. What if my specialty area was kind of broad? You know, I used the network engineer example earlier. It may be that I am the network engineer for company XYZ. Uh, We may or may not use the same switching and routing gear across all of our locations in our entire environment, right? I, I It could be different. Maybe we Correct. do software-defined networking in some way, and that is yet another piece of the puzzle. So that's, that's still, I mean, that's still kind of a broad spectrum as opposed to me saying, well, I'm a network engineer, but I only work on Cisco gears, gear, and I've only worked on these two types of ASAs or, uh, you know, nine case, for example. Right. Right. And you didn't even talk about wide area networking there, except in the, you know, the, the, the WAN facing area of, uh, of a firewall. Yeah. So, I mean, there's just so many roles underneath that role of, you know, quote unquote network engineering or network specialization that, that really like you could be that first line in, on the networking team and they might view, you know, you as the generalist, whereas like the person with security operations and and networking, um, is like a a specialist escalation point for you as the network generalist. And then the person who just knows, you know, um, you know, uh, wide area routing protocols is a different point of escalation. And then somebody who can debug, you know, switch programming is yet another escalation point. Each of those people are specialists to you as the network generalist. Um, yeah, that's, that's definitely the case. I, I almost feel like, uh, we have another example, right? Nick, like you, you're an I, your job and my job is kind of uh, like that as well. Right. Yeah, I could see how people might see us as VMware specialists, even though we are generalists across the product portfolio. Yeah, so I think that, you know, at a certain point in my career, and I think I've said it on this podcast before, I I said, well, rather than be a jack of all trades in IT, I would prefer to be a specialist in the virtualization technology. Now, you can say that, of course, and that still encompasses you know, networking and, and storage and compute, right? Not just computing can encompass and user computing. So, you know, when I came to work for VMware, you know, I had kind of a gradual ramp up, uh, but you know, that product portfolio, as you said, it's, it's just so broad, you know, encompasses so many things that, you know, I ended up realizing, Oh, I thought I was getting into a specialty, but I'm, everyone that I interact with looks at me as a generalist, 
right? A generalist across the entire portfolio of VMware products, whereas each of the business units that represents, you know, two or three products, you know, maybe one product, you know, they have a whole set of uh, solution engineers or systems engineers who regard themselves as specialists and me as, as the generalist again. And that's, that's a really interesting, like maybe, you know, even in some of those business units, like the person says, Oh yeah, but I'm a, I'm a specialist at this business unit, but then I have internal escalation points even inside this business unit. Wow. I feel like you're saying it's all relative, John. I guess I am saying that. Are you promoting relativism on this podcast? Is that what you're saying? Yes, yes, I am, especially in terms of uh, journalist versus specialist. You know, again, it's it's back to the you know shades. You know, it's not white or black. It's 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 all shades of gray, and more and more and more specialized, right? Absolutely, I like it. So, I guess we're saying that a specialist could still be a generalist too, aren't we? Yeah. Yes, we are. Oh man. Well. I think we should play Mythbusters Nerd Journey Edition next. Are you are you up for this? I'm up for it. All right. I'm not prepared so, for this part. Oh uh, yeah, of course. Trying to stump John as usual. <laughs> so let's try and figure out if some of these statements are facts or myths. And if they are a myth, let's try and bust them out of the water for people. So okay. I've I've heard it said. Being a generalist gives you more opportunity and less risk than being a specialist. Any thoughts there? Ooh, yes. So I think that I agree with that, but there's also a corresponding like lack of compensation, right? Because you don't you're not as deep in anything, you know, you're competing with everybody else who um has like a general shallow knowledge of a bunch of different things. So those, those people are easier. I'm not saying easy, just easier to find. Um, and thus the compensation is lower. So you might have more opportunity. There might be lots and lots of opportunities for generalists with lower compensation. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. And I think that a lot of people want to stay generalist because they believe the opportunity spectrum will be bigger and it Hmm. keeps them exposed to more technologies that they can touch out there. They're afraid of pigeonholing into a specific area. Oh, so I think that's a myth. Um, I think that in order to, be relevant in any technology field, you have to be relevant in the adjacencies too. So if you're a virtualization engineer, that doesn't mean that you don't know anything about storage. It doesn't mean that you don't have an opinion about the type of networking that you're connecting to. It doesn't mean that you don't have an opinion about the underlying hardware that you're running on, right? You have to be opinionated. You have to have demands of SLAs and performance and and, you know, availability, you have to be conversant with all of those things. You have to know about your specialty as well and know your specialty up and down. But, but just because you're a virtualization, you know, quote unquote specialist doesn't mean that you, you don't need to know and can't know, you know, about those things. You actually have to know about those things, right? So, you know, how easy is it to, to slide over? Well, I was a, a virtualization specialist, but now I want to concentrate a little bit more on storage. You know, I actually think that that is um, um, a little bit easier um, to do rather than, you know, I don't know anything about storage uh, or I'm a, I have a generalist knowledge of storage without an underlying, you know, application demand specific knowledge of how storage is used and, and the where's and why's and the, and the business requirements. Mm, okay. So just to be clear, everybody, it sounds like we're saying being a generalist gives you more opportunity and less risk than being a specialist is a yes, but with caveats. And with then, caveats, yeah. And then the, the next one, to your point, it's easier to move from generalist to specialist than the other way around. So if you Ooh, were the, the storage guy mm-hmm. who only knew storage and you were trying to make a move toward the virtualization realm... I think it might be a little bit more difficult. I think I think that it could be, but it, it might be just a perception problem, right? 
So from the, the storage engineer's point of view, they need to interface with the virtualization team. They need to interface with a physical team. They need to interface with the, the team that uses, you know, file. And then they need to interface with like the mainframe team, right? Um, so they need, they have a bunch of different interfaces. So they, you know, that frontline team might be, um, a little bit more viewed by the storage team as generalists. So I think those storage generalists, because they interface with those, that kind of variety of teams, if they wanted to make the jump onto the other side of one of those teams, say in your example, to become a virtualization specialist, I think they're facing similar hurdles. I mean, um, they might understand because of the interface, um, the business requirements and, and some of those things, they might not understand the underlying technology, but it might be the same as if a virtualization engineer is coming across to the storage side. So, you know, I think perception is that, you know, one way is easier. And, and maybe what I'm just saying is like, it might be, uh, you know, a similar issue on the interface side between two teams for one person to move to the other team. Um, and it doesn't matter if one, you know, group is viewed as more of a general consumer as the other. It's that knowledge of the interface and the willingness of the individual to work to learn about, you know, the, the knowledge gaps. Sure. Yeah, I could see that. It's so it's, so a, it's a very firm, it depends. <laughs> Perfect consultant answer. But I would also say go back, if you haven't listened to it before, listen to our episodes on the ins and outs of training and then the ins and outs of training revisited where we talked about training adjacencies. I think this fits well into that. And that's you know, kind of what John's saying. It, it may not be as challenging as you think to go from specialist to generalist. So I wouldn't just rule it out because it sounds more difficult. There may be a lot more adjacent bridges to cross to get there if you really want to get there. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And maybe something that we skipped is the the perceived risk of being a specialist, um, especially concentrating on a technology and, and not knowing if that technology is going to be around. Right? So if you, you know, 10 years ago said, Hey, you know what I'm going to do is specialized in, specialize in, in tape based storage. And that's really not done much anymore. I mean, it, it's still around, but it's for very specific edge use cases as opposed to the general use case. At the time, you might have been thinking, oh, this is very safe. Everything's always going to be on tape eventually. Um, you know, then, you know, any kind of move away from the general to the specialty, you know, over a 10 year time frame might be perceived as equally risky, right? So I think that, you know, that, is all that's the that's true of everything right it's it's also true of the status quo the status quo of what you're doing might be you know equally out of date 10 years from now um so you're always going to need to be moving and if you had moved in my example to uh, tape based storage um maybe you moved you know over those 10 years to general archival storage like you know specialty archival systems that were a hybrid of disk and tape and then maybe you know pure disk and then, you know, some kind of other hybrid products, you know, flash to spinning disk. Um, so every job, you know, is going to change over time. Um, and you just have to be, you know, the main requirement is that you have to be willing and able to, uh, understand that your job 10 years from now, it probably just is almost impossible for it to be exactly what it is you're doing today. So you, you have to embrace change no matter what it is that you do. Oh man, I I actually, I completely agree with you. My thought of the risk part is, you know, if you wanted to specialize in something that was new, cutting edge, and maybe a little untested in the market, and that product or service didn't work out, you might be the first one to go if, if that's the case. You know, that uh, kind of puts your job yeah. at risk. But it also puts your job at risk if mainframe people are going away and they're, you know, they're not needed, but then now we have all these mainframes out there and the people who can still work on a mainframe become valuable again. So it, it's a little bit of a cycle. And as you said, you, you need to be adaptable so that you can match your skills with the market demand and be in an area that feels like a safe bet to stay employed 
right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. How about this one? Fact or myth, specialists make more money because of a unique skill set. Ooh, um, I would say that, you know, money is always about demand versus availability of people who can fill that demand. And it also has something to do with how difficult it is to get the skills, right? So, um, you know, I guess that's my uh, marketplace <laughs> um, <laughs> and capitalist view of how things like, you know, in an open marketplace, you know, the, the availability of skills, you know, balance against the demand for the use of those skills is going to determine the price of, of how people get paid. Um, so, um, you could be a specialist in something that has very, very little demand. And I think it'll be difficult to have, you know, high levels of compensation. So it's, it's really about, um, what the demand is versus how many people there are who can fill that demand. And, and that's just, you know, for example, um, imagine the difficulty in getting top secret clearance, right? So maybe you have a generalist skills, um, but you have top secret clearance. And so you're in the marketplace for people who can work on those generalist type of um, problems in the industry that requires that you have top secret clearance. Well, the number of people who have that is low compared to the general population. So in general, you're probably going to have higher levels of compensation. So any kind of anything that you have, which rules out a bunch of people in that, in that job market is going to increase your pay. I like it. It sounds like you just gave us another, it depends answer, John. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's difficult to have like a precise rule, like a, like a general rule as like, you know, the more specialized you are, like the, the higher your pay is going to be. Well, I mean, I remember I took a computer science class. This is like 10 or 15 years ago and it was an ADA. Okay. Now, if I'm super specialized in ADA, um, the number of people might not be that high that can do that job, but the demand for the use of that language might not be that high either. So, Maybe the market rate is about the market for, you know, somebody in a more well-known language. Um, so, you know, and I have actually no idea if that's true or not. It's just an example. Um, so I, I just think that it does depend. It depends on the demand for the set of specialized skills if you're a specialist and anything else that like rules anything, any other people out of the market for the job, right? Yeah, I like it. I don't really have anything to add to that one because I think you said it well. How about this one? Being a specialist limits exposure to new products and skills and narrows your viewpoint. On this particular item, I think that it that specializing definitely can limit your exposure to new products and skills. You know, if I am heavily focused on databases, I may not necessarily be up on, you know, what the latest server operating system is and what networking technologies are hot. So I think, I think there is a narrowing of viewpoint and focus there because you, you would naturally tend to ignore those things a little bit more because your focus is smaller, right? Because it, because it's easier. Yeah. So I think what you, are touching on is that um, it's almost like no matter what it is that you do, that by definition, what you do narrows your focus, um, you know, to what it is that you do. So if you're a database specialist, your view of operating systems is colored by, you know, through the keyhole of how do they affect database operations or performance or availability. Um, now, that's just like your first pass at it. Right now, the individual—it's up to the individual to overcome that. If they, you know, have a special interest in database operations or something along those lines, um, you know, or, um, sorry, I misspoke. If they have an interest in general operating systems and and how they work 
and operate in what the cutting edge is outside of that database specialization, then it's up to that individual to overcome their point of view, the narrowing of their point of view, to do the research and, you know, have a home lab or however it is that they, you know, do reading, listening to podcasts, um, you know, reading blogs, however it is that they do education to, to train themselves up in that area of, of interest and overcome that narrowing of our, of point of view. You know, and, and it goes back to that example that we were talking about. As a virtualization engineer, my view of storage was naturally colored by how storage affects virtualization. You know, what's easier to set up, iSCSI or NFS or local storage or something else, right? Um, and I'm sure that there's a wealth of subtlety that is, you know, goes well beyond that, that initial, um, you know, protocol. And then, you know, the underlying disks and how they're set up, RAID sets, okay. Um, you know, spinning disk versus flash. Well, what kind of flash? You know, all of those things, um, as a virtualization engineer, I'm interested in as it affects virtualization. But if I have any inkling or interest in, in storage writ large, then I need to investigate that, that industry outside of how my point of view, you know, generally perceives that and, and read about that industry and their point of view. Um, so I, I hope that makes sense to you. I like it. I, I really keyed in on the fact that you can make it happen and open up your bubble a little bit if you want to, but it will take conscious effort, work, and some additional focus that might be outside of your immediate job responsibilities, right? Yeah, absolutely. It, it might be, you know, something that you have to do in your extended time, like your personal time, or you need, need, might need to sell it to your employer as, hey, this is mandatory, um, you know, kind of development time that I need to do to stay relevant within um, the the industry writ large, right? You know, I might be very, very good at what I'm doing, but you also want me to be ready for what's coming next year and the year after that and the year after that. So that's, that's kind of my viewpoint. Sure. And someone may say back to your viewpoint, well, John, drink more coffee, sleep less and go for it because you're not doing it here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, I would say like a good employer is going to want you to, um, remain relevant over the medium to long term, not just, you know, very, very short term. So if you truly are in an environment where your employer says, I expect you to spend personal time outside of the, the 40 hours or whatever that, that you're spending on my site to stay relevant within the industry and be ready for the change and be ready to be an expert or, you know, a generalist at this next thing. Um, that, you know, that nobody knows about yet, then that's a, that's a problem. That's a sign of a, a short-sighted employer or, you know, an employer that just needs to be educated in how to be relevant or a good employer to, to technology professionals, right? Absolutely. And if the education from you doesn't work on the employer, uh, polish up resume, run away quickly. Yeah. Speak, speaking of that, let's, Let's talk career since that's what we do here. We busted some myths or said it depends a lot earlier. But let's talk about career tips that we would give people who are generalists right now or call themselves generalists and for people who call themselves specialists. And before we do that, just remember, everybody, these tips are crafted through the lens of you need to be doing the things that will make you the most marketable moving forward so that you can have more opportunities as you advance your career. Whether it's getting more general or getting more specialized, the idea is the more options you have, the more job security you have, and the bigger variety of things you could go and do. So, yeah, absolutely. Good point of view to keep in mind. Let's start with the generalist, John. If I'm a generalist, what's a tip that you would give me for career advancement and development? Hmm. I think we've actually kind of jumped the gun and, and talked about that. You have to stay flexible and you have to put in time to stay relevant. Right? You have to be looking ahead of where you are today to what's coming and be prepared for it. And you don't have to be prepared for all the branches of where things could go. 
You just have to be aware of what those branches of possibilities are, right? If you're an IT professional pre-virtualization and you're looking ahead and, you know, thinking, well, maybe virtualization is a possibility. I need to do some preliminary investigation into it. You don't need to pick, you know, the vendor winner or, you know, exactly where the market goes. You just need to know that that's a possibility, you know, in the, in the hazy future. And the same thing for today, you know, if you're in IT operations and you don't know anything about, you know, who's going to win the, the container engine war, like, you know, don't worry about that. You just need to educate yourself on what containers are and, and what Kubernetes is or, you know, other, um, orchestration engines for, for containers, right? You know, that, that's the type of thing that you just have to map out and say, well, what are the, what are the mega trends in the industry? And, you know, what, what is my awareness of them? Can I keep like a general awareness of, of how those things are marching forward? Absolutely. And you could use that decision tree, that knowledge of what the trends are to maybe choose one to two areas that are of interest to you that are relevant to the market where you can dive a little bit deeper, learn a little bit more, maybe play with the technology or at least read up on it. So that allows you to take your generalist self and develop some specialties outside of what you already have. Again, making you more marketable. But you know, I, I will say it is really a challenge, John, when you're a generalist and you're interested in a bunch of different things because there's no way you're going to have enough time to go deep on everything that interests you. It's just not possible unless you're a cyborg and don't sleep. <laughs> right. Um, I think that it's exactly right. You, you hit it on the, you know, the nail on the head, right? You, you have to, um, map out the, the possibilities of the future. You have to find some things that sound really cool that you're really excited about and maybe place some minor bets by doing some additional research and, and, um, you know, self teaching and self learning about, you know, those topics because, you know, you find them especially fascinating. But if, you know, the, it's a problem if every single thing that you find in the hazy future is fascinating. Um, because you, you know, there's just not enough hours in the day or the week or the month or the year to be a specialist at everything. You know, you, you gotta play some bets. You gotta focus, focus those, those interests. Um, it's unfortunate, you know, we, but it's a good position to be in. If everything that you come across, you find pretty interesting and intriguing. You know, the big problem is if you don't find anything interesting, like that's a, that's a major issue. Yeah, that's kind of strange. If you're not interested in anything, it kind of makes me wonder if you're in the right field. Maybe maybe technology is just not as interesting to you as it used to be. Yeah, yeah, that's very possible. The the real dilemma is if you're only if you're, you know, deeply fascinated in exactly what you're doing today and have no interest in how things are going to change, then you're in a real tough spot. Yeah, that's that's tough. So uh, that sounds like a problem that may plague many a specialist out there, especially if you've done something for a really long time. How about we transition to career tips for the specialist? Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about that. So from a specialist point of view, I, I would say think of ways or think of how general your area of specialty happens to be. You know, if we go back to the the database administrator. Well, what kind of databases are you working on? If you're just a SQL Server person today, maybe it's time to learn NoSQL or a different type of transactional database that is used for a different application because while it's still under that database umbrella specialty, so to speak, it again makes you more marketable within that discipline and helps you to generalize. Yeah, very true. I also think that there's also the, you know, the, the general specialist divide within the, the, within the specialty, right? So you might be 
first of all, like a, you know, database generalist, you know, or mostly working on database operations. And, and maybe one of the things you want to do is up level yourself to like a, a database architect, right? To, to actually be like a even more specialized or a different skill set within that specialty that you are involved in. Um, I really like the idea also of what you said about going about d- down different branches within the uh, specialty that you've chosen. So, you know, kind of backing out one step in the decision tree. Well, I've, you know, I decided to focus on SQL. Maybe, you know, back up one step and say, well, you know, is NoSQL, um, in our example, you know, used in our industry? You know, are there possible uses, you know, for this company that, that I need to be ready to answer questions about, you know, a little bit more distributed database rather than a transactional centralized database? And I also think, um, you know, specialists need to constantly be examining, um, you know, and maybe this is not actually relevant just to specialists, but to everybody, you know, what is it that I'm doing in the industry and how important is it in this industry? How in demand is the skill and what it is that I'm doing and how many other people are available to fill this role? And if the answer is that there's lots and lots of people, you know, looking to get your type of role and they're all, you know, highly qualified and it's, maybe easy to get those skills, then maybe you need to specialize a little bit more um, in in find something where there's even higher demand or demand outstrips supply. Right? That's that's the place to be to be stable. Um, so that's kind of my tip. That's pretty interesting, John, because my advice in general was going to be try and generalize your specialty more and you actually said the opposite cool stuff i mean i see both sides for sure and i was not yeah i was not seeing that side before we started talking here so very very good point and i think it's those adjacent areas that are logical next steps just like you said whether it's stepping toward a deeper specialty or a more general specialty there the adjacencies are so so important pay to pay attention to in, in any role that, that you happen to be in. And man, I, go ahead. I, I just want to double down on, on what you're saying. Like that adjacency thing, I found that so compelling as well. So I wanted to give, you know, another side to it, but man, that adjacency thing is so important. Imagine how, you know, the relative value of two different database administrators, you know, who work on, you know, have expertise in SQL Server. And one goes, you know, I'm really great at SQL Server operations. And the other says, I'm great at SQL Server operations, especially with relation to how SQL Server interacts with the application that's lying on top of it and how it's consuming resources in the IT infrastructure below it. And I've had to, you know, kind of, you know, branch out and make sure that I know about those adjacent technologies, um, how my customers are using the SQL server, right? Those ERP applications, and then how I'm actually consuming the underlying IT resources, just so that I'm, I'm much better at that job. Like that's way more compelling than the person who says, well, I'm just really good at SQL server. Um, and and maybe it's just a fallacy for me to think that there's anybody out there like it, but but it's just an example um, within that. Uh, you know, you, picking on SQL Server um, as the specific role. You mean a fallacy to think that anyone could be that good at SQL Server? <laughs> no, no, I, I just meant like you know, I I have no idea if there's actually any you know SQL Server administrators who completely ignore how the application is using SQL Server server and completely ignore how they consume storage and networking and compute. You would hope not, but I don't know. If I were a hiring manager, I'd much rather hire somebody who you know understood the upstream technology and was well versed and and experienced in understanding how the customer is consuming that service as well as the downstream services. You know, in our example, how SQL Server is consuming compute um, networking and storage resources. Like that, that person is way more compelling a hire than the person who is ignorant of those things. Well, sure. Especially if you're the hiring manager at a company who provides cloud database services. Oh, yeah. That's what I thought of. Mm-hmm. 
But, you know, something that, that might just be interesting to a specialist is looking at something in a completely different discipline just for fun, like totally outside your comfort zone, outside your area, maybe not even an adjacency, just to just to do it and see if it strikes your fancy and if you had an interest way outside the bubble. That might be an interesting experiment. I'm not saying you have to, but who knows? It may make you do a total 180, kind of like the, it makes me think of the Area of Destiny podcast we did. You know, is there something else out there that maybe is more in your Area of Destiny than what you're doing today? And in order to find it, you have to have to look around a bit. Yeah, the recurring theme for us really is like looking out in the industry and see what's going on out there. And especially, you know, try to, um, take off the blinders of the role that you have specifically and even the company that you work for um, and what it is that they do and how they consume technology and, and you know, kind of go out there with a blank slate and, and look at the industry in general and say, well, what else is going on that's interesting? Um, and do I have any interests outside of what it is that I'm doing right now? Um, and, and try to find those things and, and cultivate them, right? And and sometimes there's an overlapping relevancy, and and you'll be able to find something that helps you, you know, transition, um, an interest, or you know, maybe it is an adjacency, but um, sometimes it isn't. Sometimes it's completely unrelated, and you find out, you know, your SQL Server administrator or even architect, and you find that you have a you know compelling interest in security operations, and and uh, you know. It, isn't necessarily related. Um, you know, maybe it touches on and you interface with some of those people today, but you know, you, who knew, right? So you just have to be open to those experiences and looking for them, right? You have to, to dip your, your hand in the stream and, and see what's going by. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it sounds to me like at a very high level, we're encouraging our listeners to become full stack engineers, I don't know if you've heard that term or not, but if you don't listen to the the Full Stack Engineer podcast that Scott Lowe does, that's actually a really good one to get some practical tips in these different areas that we're talking about. Whether you're a generalist or a specialist, he's always asking his guests for practical tips on how to get started. I don't remember the episode offhand, and I'm not sure I can find it without listening to them all, but I remember someone saying that you know, within a specific discipline, the choice of the tool is not super important. Just pick something and go with it, but stick with it and don't get distracted by shiny and new. Very much like you said, if I was picking a platform to learn containers, for example, it may not matter necessarily whether which cloud or which provider or how I roll my own, but to learn the container landscape using the tool I have at first. And if I know enough using that tool, it will allow me to use the others with some relative ease. Whereas switching before learning very much at a time can cause me to not learn very much at all. <laughs> right. There's the, um, the, the tyranny of the tool. Um, that's just alliterative. Alliterative. I don't know if that's an actual thing, but you spend all your time like figuring out which tool that you're going to use and, and perfecting the tool rather than trying to build something with the tool, like just picking something and then trying to build. Yeah, that, I, I've definitely been frozen in, in that situation before. So um, I'd highly encourage um, people to take that advice. Right. Um, if you find something interesting, just try to dive in, you know, in the, in the least costly way possible and get some experience in that and figure out if you actually are interested in it rather than obsessing over, you know, figuring out the exact correct thing, you know, that's going to be perfect for you. Everybody knows there can be only one, John. I mean, we learned that from Highlander. <laughs> yeah. That, another myth busted. Ouch. <laughs> All right. Any other tips for the specialists that we can uh, talk about? I think we pretty much got it covered. Right. Well, I have to say that uh, that's about all we, if that's all we have for that topic, it's, I think, uh, all that we had planned. Anything else pop in your mind before we uh, close? 
Just another plug for the John White School of Mentoring, ladies and gentlemen. This is all sponsored curriculum and could be yours. Packaging and pricing to come. All you need to do is send that tweet out to at Nerd Journey to sign up for some of John's time to get one-on-one practical tips just like this. We'll find you some of his time. And I'll uh, I'll retire off of the proceeds. Appreciate it. <laughs> As always, a reminder, we want people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter, at Nerd Journey. All right, farewell listeners, tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm John White at VJourneyman for Nick Cordy at NetworkNerd underscore signing off. Adios. We were sick and we still did it. Made it through. The battle of wills is complete.